0: We're going from bottom to top. Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's again two up top. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So, Carl, how have you been since we spoke a fortnight ago?
2: Yeah, really good, thanks, Dan. Um, you know, lots lots of football and, and talking points for us to get into. So, looking forward to this one, mate.
0: Fantastic. And also, you're joined by Palace fan Max this week. Max, I hope all is well. And how have you been keeping, my friend?
1: Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Yeah, as uh, as Carl says, loads of football to be, uh, to be talking about. So, yeah, can't wait to get cracking.
0: Yes, before we get stuck in, let's do the social media bits first, as I'll be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan tracy 1983 Also, the podcast has its own account. Which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud, Audio Boom, and Spotify. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right, it's time to go live, and where should we go first? Let's send matters to the West Midlands, and Cole Wolves are now six matches without a win in the league. Now, the obvious conclusion in all of this would be no Raul Jimenez, and that's a little bit lazy, but we're going to sort of touch on that in a bit anyway, but I want to ask you, is there also a deeper issue which is currently underlying Wolves' problems?
2: Yeah, it is a tough one. As you say, Dan, when you look at their form lately, you you really start to worry for them, don't you? Because as you say, there's no winning six now. Um, And I think, you know... It's hard to pinpoint what's going on at Wolves, isn't it? Because that is a good squad and and they have got some creative players. You know, you've got Troy out on the wing who, let's face it, is like lightning and there's no one can get near him. But it's just not happening for them going forward and and kind of getting those wins over the line. Um, And obviously this weekend will be a massive blow losing that game at home to West Brom because that will be one they really were probably looking at and thinking, right, this is a game we can get a win, get some momentum going again and hopefully turn things around. I think, you know, obviously it is a massive blow to Raul Jimenez's injury and it does look like they're kind of suffering from that because, you know, they're they're bringing in some young guys who look like they've got some great potential. But unfortunately, they you know it might be taking them a little while to kind of bed in and hit the ground running especially in a league like the premier league where you know jimenez up front he was a real focal point and he could win them games on his own and and he had that streetwise ability about him and that tough striker um they felt that loss i think massively Um, and if there's one team that you kind of feel now might have to dip into the transfer market in january and bring someone in that could possibly suddenly fill that void bring the goals bring a bit of you know hold up play up front i think wolves are the team that you'd look at and say they probably will be scouring the market right now thinking right who's out there we can bring in We know we probably might not be able to go and spend big money, but you've got to look to bring in a striker, maybe with a proven record um, that might obviously, you know, might be on the wrong side of... Age wise for his career, but could come in and maybe just do a stabilising job for them um, because otherwise, say hey, they have got a good side. You know, that is, you know, Cody at the back, the goalkeeper Patricio, he's good. They've got some creative midfielders. It's just not happening for them, and they will be starting to look at the table now. And as we say, after Christmas, you start to tell the way the season's going to go, and they will be slightly concerned of where they are and the form they're in. So they'll want to try and turn that around quickly, but I do think they're going have to dip into the transfer market to do that.
0: Well, that brings me on to the next point, to Max, because if you believe some reports in the papers over the past few days, which is always a dangerous task, but the reports are that the pot is pretty much dry to the point where they can't even get a low e. The likes of Divock Origi been mentioned, Oliver Giroud, which might be a stretch, but he's also been in the frame. But supposedly, there's no money. So they've recalled Patrick Cotroni from his Italian stint. Is he the answer to their ongoing Jimenez question?
1: Yeah, with Catroni, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He he did um he's done kind of relatively okay in in Italy, but I think actually their their initial plans, as I mentioned on the last episode, were maybe to loan him out again to another team where he'd play more because he was kind of in and out at I think Fiorentina it was, and he wasn't scoring, you know, hatfuls. But they're gonna just have to rely on that. And basically when you when you spend uh, big on young players, which they did with Fabio Silva, 35 million. It's it's all well and good doing that, and obviously you know he he has got something about him, and I, and he did score, um, which I think it was his first in open play or his first at Molineux. Um But but when you when you spend big on young players, you're accepting that you're not going to have the instant impact. Um, and he he is good. He's he's kind of a raw talent, but he's not yet ready to kind of contribute regularly or meaningfully to to a premier league side even though they spent 35 million and so you know with that kind of with that kind of outlay you would expect him to contribute straight away but that also means that um they can't then go and get someone in who can uh, who can contribute immediately because they've spent so big on on a player and it's it's all yeah, like I say, it's all well and good signing young players. And, you know, Pedro Neto, who I've praised before, fantastic young player. They've also got some really good young players there, you know, like Vitinha, they bought from Portugal, the midfielder, um, Gibbs White, people like that. But, yeah, Silva seemed to be a bit of a, a weird signing for them because all, they would always sign players from kind of under the radar a bit and, you know, not spending much money on the likes of Pedence or Neto or, or even Traore. But to spend so big, you know, a real marquee signing fee of 35 million on Fabio Silva, um, and then to find out he's not quite ready for the Premier League, um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of hamstrung them a bit because now they can't um, now they can't go and get someone else. Catrone, I'm not sure, you know, they're going to give him a chance. He might he might do okay, and at least uh, Fabio Silva's got a bit of competition because he's not going to be able to play. You know, two games a week of Premier League football is extremely physically demanding, as we all know. Um, so at least they've got a bit of competition, and they've got you know another guy to provide some um, to provide some some cover and competition in there. But you know they're going to struggle until Jimenez comes back. It is, as you say, maybe a little bit simplistic to put it all down to him, but he's such an important player, not just in terms of. Um, his goal scoring, but in terms of his link-up play, he brings everyone else into the game, and he contributes so much. And if you think about the kind of complete forward that that completely dictates the team's play and tempo and, and attacking, um, and attacking intent, I'd say Jimenez is probably second only to Firmino in the Premier League for his impact to his to his whole side. He's such a big loss for them, and I'm, we've obviously seen that they've been struggling without him.
0: So, Cole, if there's no money in the pot as reported, and if you consider Wolves's business model as a whole is kind of selling up the football hierarchy, will they have to cash in one of their chips, be that, I don't know, Ruben Neves, Neto, Pedence, Dendonca, Traore, one of those, perhaps in the summer or maybe even sooner to get the much-needed striker that we've just been talking about?
2: I guess the problem is you, you don't want to give up one of those jewels, do you? Just for, obviously, you know, I guess the biggest issue that Wolves will have to figure out is is where Jimenez is going to be. You know, is he going to be able to recover fully from this injury to potentially then kind of get himself back playing again to the sort of level he was before? Um, I wonder if for this season, if it was me, you know, if you haven't got money to go and buy, you don't want to then go and lose one of those key players because, again, you know, if having lost Jimenez has had a massive impact you take another one of those big players out and again that could just kind of confound the issues you're having they might have to go and have a look at the loan market and see what they can do there if you're thinking right Jimenez hopefully probably be back next season now before again you see him really recover from that injury and be able to be back to the sort of player he was so you might have to write this season off so it might be a loan move that they need to go out and just try and find you know say an experienced striker as as Max has said, you know, him and his Wasn't just his goals, it was he was the focal point for everything they did. Um, And they might need to just go and try and find an experienced player like that you can bring in on loan just to get you through to the end of this season and maybe accept, right? Look, listen, this season could be a write off, but we need to at least make sure that we stay, you know, mid table, you know, get maybe an eighth or ninth or something like that and make sure we don't have a season where we're in a relegation dog battle because that might set us back even further than we want to be. Um, And then and obviously next season we get him and his back and then they might look to do some business, you know, bring a couple in, ship a couple out. Um, but I would say right now, I think getting rid of any of those other key experienced players might not be the way forward. And I would say, you know, if I'm there, I'm thinking I need a loan, a, a, a real experienced striker just to come in can be that focal point. And hopefully when we get that focal point back, the form and the results will come again, we see this season out and then we regroup and go again next season. Um, And obviously then you'll look come the end of the season to see what sort of business you can do.
0: So Max, if this season is a write-off, which is probably going to be the case now, I don't think Wolves are going to be dragged into any relegation battle, but their upward trajectory that we've seen over the last few seasons is certainly screeching to a shuddering halt. So Does that offer mitigating circumstance to Nuno and his employment status? There have been murmurs of discontent at the moment about his defensive tactics and the like, but we're not anywhere close to his head being on the chopping block right now, or are we?
1: Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's got enough credit in the bank, you know, having... Having having done so well for them in recent in recent years, obviously he signed a lot of players um, who have then gone on to double or even triple or quadruple their their transfer value. So you know, buying buying low and selling high. Um, so obviously the likes of Traore, Neto, Pedence, we've mentioned Dendonca, um, um, Although Doherty was there beforehand, but you know he he turned him into a, into a real solid Premier League player. Um, Size. You know, Cody's been a revelation and they're bought really, really well. Nevez is a great player as well. Um, so I think definitely he's got enough credit in the bank. They are gonna be a little bit, um a little bit worried about the, the downturn in form and also, of course, about the um about the relatively kind of defensive stodgy tactics. But to be honest, um Real defensive, stodgy tactics, that's like Palace, that's like Newcastle. Wolves, Wolves still play good football. They've got loads of really creative, technical players who are really, really good. Um, so I can kind of understand that if you're playing those kind of tactics and maybe not getting the results still and the winds are drying up, that the board and the fans are a little bit concerned. But definitely Nuno has enough credit in the bank to to not be worried for the moment.
0: Okay then, Carl. So to make matters worse for Wolves, they lost to West Brom in a local derby on Saturday. And for all the image of a big sound performance that you might have in your head, the baggies were far more free-flowing than you would normally imagine them to be.
2: Yeah, they were. Um, and like I say, that was a result that, you know, if you was asked to pick uh, pick games, you, you certainly would not have seen this result coming. You certainly wouldn't have seen West Brom kind of be as as entertaining as they were going forward. You know, it's not a big Sam way, is it? You know, it's be tight. Don't do nothing silly. Keep yourselves in there, and you never know. You may be able to nick a goal, maybe two. Um, but to see them kind of play as freely and that as they were at times, it, it was it was good to see. Um, you know, there's a great result for them. I mean, you know, that is a sort of result that could be a season turner um, in, you know, in terms of where their season goes from here, because since Big Sam come in, you know, they've had some hit and miss results, haven't they? You know, they got that point at Anfield where you thought, well, okay, you know, that, that could be good signs. Then they went and get spanked by Leeds um, and you're suddenly thinking, oh, maybe, you know, maybe it's not on. Um, but that win there away, at, especially at Wolves, that that could be a real momentum changer for them. And it just goes to show they've they've got some talent there. Um, You know, they've got some good young players in that can, on their day, turn it on, especially like this weekend. Um, I think, It's like, as Max has said earlier, though, with young players coming in consistency, so that might be something Wolves will struggle with, uh, sorry, West Brom will struggle with this season, is the fact that they just can't get that consistency that might be needed out of those young attacking players to keep that sort of level going. And it could just be that come the end, that's what probably stops them. um, If they go down, that might be the reason why. Um, But great result. And it could be one that lifts their season, changes things. And if they can get another couple of steady results on the board now, then they'll be more than pleased.
0: So, Max, obviously it's a welcome win. But when you look at the table, there's still work to be done for West Brom. And when you look through their squads, they're probably in need of a forward, maybe even two this month. So if you're heading up the West Brom scouting department, who would be top of your striking radar? Oh,
1: that's a tricky question. That's a tricky question. I think you probably want someone who's proven in the Premier League. Um, so potentially someone who is at a Premier League club and has kind of fallen out of favour, and then, um, but you know they, they've still got the kind of the the history and the legacy of of having the the prowess to score goals in the Premier League. Someone like Divock Arigi might be a bit ambitious. They could get Bachwei from Palace. You know if the it, because he hasn't really had a chance That's a with good us. Shout. Um, and because he he's definitely got the ability within him. He's you know, he's a quality player, he's second choice striker for the best team in the world, best international team in the world, or be, best ranked at least, Belgium. Um, so yeah, I think why might be a good shout, Origi might be a good shout. I wouldn't I probably wouldn't go abroad. Maybe some you know, maybe someone who's looking for first team football. I don't know if Villa would be willing to let Wesley um, go out on loan, someone like that, you know, who had a decent start in the Premier League, but has was injured for ages, and you know, wants some kind of first team matches. But yeah, I think probably one of those three. You want yeah, you want someone who's kind of got a bit of know how, a bit of experience about them. Whereas Colin Grant is a good kind of future uh, prospect, but I don't think he's ready to you know lead the line in a Premier League team. I don't think he's going to score the goals that are going to keep you up. So you probably want someone
2: like that. Well, they're trying. To, they're they're probably trying to look for that echoes of Lukaku, aren't they, Dan? Yeah. You know they, they need that player that's on the fringes somewhere else, and suddenly can go there and suddenly use that as his stepping stone to kind of then make a name for himself. Um, you'd think you would say yeah, something like a Rigi but or wonder if Lukaku could help them with the the Belgium the Belgium quartet and get Bashweid there.
0: Yeah, it's not a bad shout. I mean, it's a difficult question to answer because I don't think West Brom know the answer themselves, if we're brutally honest. Do they sort of try and plump for someone knowing that the chances are that it's not really going to make much difference in terms of their survival hopes that you know, you're sort of giving a big outlay then you're back to the Championship, you might have to sell them at a loss. So there's always that kind of weighing up of cost and benefit and all that kind of stuff. So it's difficult. And then the kind of player that Max has put on his scouting sheet, they're not cheap and they don't grow on trees anymore. They are a very defined bunch and they're sort of hard to, to a get and they're even harder to get if your team really languishing at the bottom so it's going to be a tough one for West Brom but let's stay in and around the bottom three now as Brighton have found their first win in 10 league outings and Cole, it's a result that only serves to debunk that Bielsa Bull myth just that little bit further
2: yeah but Leeds were entertaining them. yeah they? that's right they did oh, it the right oh, way <laughs> <laughs> go down that route. yeah great win for Brighton to be honest because you know, know, we have to give credit, you know, Leeds are a good football inside and they are a good watch, you know, they do go forward and they do try to play football. But again, you know, we are seeing lately, you know, it's all well and good having that tag, but you've got to put some results on the board to match it. Um, And again, I think you'll look this weekend and go, that was a game where they probably will feel they should have got something out of it, but you've got to give credit to Brighton. They went there, you know, you, you know there's going to be periods where you don't have the ball. They did that. They They, you know, weathered those stormy periods and they managed to play some nice football themselves and they go and nick that one get a win. And as you say, that is a massive win for Brighton as well, because, you know, that just keeps them sort of above that bottom three, um, you know, it keeps them nicely going. They didn't, you know, that that's the first win in five as well. So there's a bit of a confidence booster. Brighton have got some good players. Um, it's just, again, it's consistency for them and just making sure that they can now try and put a run together. doesn't necessarily have to be winning games, but it can just be, you know, important draws away from home, nick some wins against the teams you should do. And I think Brighton will probably be all right, but they'll, I don't see them being anywhere else but in and around where they are. But that was a really good away win for them this weekend.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at Brighton, I think you're mapping them out to be 16th, 17th, but on the right side of the relegation dotted line. But Max, we touched on Bielsa last week, so we won't try and repeat that. But in terms of adding traction to our claim from last week, if you look at the performance against Brighton, they seem off the boil in all departments. Now, is that a kind of byproduct of all this overload from the early season and the fatigue that's now being shown from that? Are Leeds just looking leggy?
1: Yeah, well, it's really interesting, isn't it, after Karen Carney made that point that yeah. they get a bit tired in the second half of the season. And then their results were uh, Tottenham 3 leads nil, Crawley 3 leads nil, and then Brighton 1 leads nil. <laughs> so uh, I think it's it's uh, a nice bit of uh, at least retribution for Carney. Not that people were ever... Um, even questioning her point because I think her point was fair enough and people were just kind of using that as an excuse to kind of piggyback on that and, and just start abusing her and stuff. But I think it's really, it's really funny that after she said that, what she said has kind of been proven true. And we don't know exactly why they're a little bit off the boil. But I think fatigue is definitely a fair comment to say because they did have this little same drop off at roughly the same point in the season in the championship. Um, and so, yeah, they they have topped all the charts for pressing and, you know, the aggression of their pressing and, um, and you know, meters run, kilometers run and that kind of thing. And now, you know, they're looking a little bit lethargic. They're, they're not their usual selves. And maybe it's a little bit of a lack of confidence and it's, you know, something maybe intangible and a bit difficult to put your finger on exactly. But they did look a bit tired and Brighton kind of ran rings around them. And we know that Brighton are a good footballing team. They just haven't been able to get the result uh, over the line, quite, but um, but yeah, I, I was I was quite impressed with with Brighton and, and not very impressed with Leeds because normally, at least when Leeds lose, there's you know they have some chances or some attacks or they look good or you know all, all of the stuff we've been talking about. But against Brighton, it was kind of none of that, and they didn't really have the energy or the aggression, and they weren't really in Brighton's face, um, and Brighton just kind of. Beat, beat them quite comfortably, so I think there's definitely something in that. Um, and yeah, like I say, it's, it's, <laughs> it's inter- interesting that, that Karen Carney's been proven right
0: now. So, Carl, when we look at Bryson's goal and the way they pinged it about, it's almost like Leeds in itself, really. So, Neil Mopé has been in and out as of late, there's been a little bit of murmurs of discontent on the south coast, but you get the feeling that if the Seagulls are to survive this season. They're going to need a steady contribution from him, so they're, they're better off playing him than dropping him.
2: Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, I like him. You know, I think he's a really good player. Um, and, and the one thing you've just got to do is make sure that he, you know, he, he keeps knowing that. Listen, at the moment, yes, you might want to move. You might, you might feel you could be playing at a better standard. But at the same time, you need to be standing out in a side like Brighton, and that will get you your move. You know, if you're inconsistent at a team like Brighton, then not many teams above that level are going to want to taking a punt on you because they expect you to be standing head and shoulders above everyone else at a side like that. But he is an important player for them. And Brighton, you know, they do play some nice football. They are a good side. You know, they we I was impressed with them when they played us then. Um, you know, they do play some good football at times. It is just that consistency of scoring enough goals, keeping enough clean sheets or keeping yourself in games long enough for them that that could be the thing that kind of stops them progressing. But if they can keep Malpie fit, if they can keep some of their other key players like Duncan at the back fit, then, you know, as I say, I think they'll be safe. They, they are a side that on their day can, can play good football. They can give anyone a game. It's just the consistency of scoring and defensively that can let them down and obviously just holds them back.
0: So, Max, they've called back Percy Tau into their first team squad for January and the rest of the season. What other business do they need to be doing? Because when you look at Potter's dealings, it's been a bit scattergun. Now, obviously, the nature of Brighton and where they are in football's hierarchy, it has to also almost be speculative because of the nature of, you know, the bigger clubs getting the, the better players. So what can Brighton do to make sure they stay out the bottom three?
1: Um, yeah, that's a tricky one. I think probably I would want to strengthen at wing back for them. Um at the moment they've at uh, left wing back they've they've only really got one option, which is Solly March, who's kind of converted anyway from yeah. a winger or a midfielder. Um Dan Byrne would be, I guess, their number two now that Bernardo has left on loan, but he strikes me as not quite a left wing back. You know, you could probably play him left centre back and left back, but left wing back might be a bit of a stretch for him. Um Ironic that it might be a bit of a stretch for him because he's six foot seven, and he's got absolutely massive legs that can stretch to almost anything. Um, but yeah, right wing back, they've got um, Tariq Lamptey, obviously, who's good, but then their backup is Veltman, who again is more traditionally a center back or or wing back. And so, oh, full back, sorry. Um, so I think probably those positions I'd be targeting. At center back, they look pretty well stopped, you know, Dunk and Webster and Ben White. Centre midfield, they're pretty well stocked as well. White can cover there. Bissumas is being looked at by a number of big teams. You know, Liverpool apparently. Um, Yeah, Proper is all right. Um, Gross and McAllister can play a bit deeper. Um, I think what other than buying players, you know, a a wing back, I think they they could also use with a bit of consistency of selection because it feels like every single game he just makes five changes and it's a bit difficult for them to... um, it's a bit difficult for them to kind of get any consistency going and build build the kind of relationships and understanding that you need um, with players when you play. And obviously, he's, you know, wanting to rotate them a little bit to, to keep them fresh. And he was using all his five subs um, when, when teams are allowed to use five subs and things like that, unlike Jurgen Klopp um, and others. But, yeah, I think maybe consistency of selection and stronger wing-backs.
0: Yeah, it's also interesting that Tarek Lamptey has signed a new contract. Now, whether that's to... Enhance his value for a potential sale, maybe not this summer, but in 18 months' time, and Brighton cash in. That's not the most surprising bit of business that will ever happen, and I wouldn't be surprised if Tottenham would sniff around if Aurier or Doherty, well, I don't know about Doty, but if they need a right-back, he might be the actual ideal replacement going forward. But let's go on now to West London, because although Matthew cannot join us this week, we're off to the cottage, and Cole, Fulham's plans to draw their way out of relegation has taken a small dent as although they lost to Chelsea, they nearly managed a sixth stalemate. They nearly held out but their resolve was broken in the end.
2: Yeah, that's right. They, I think, you know, that they couldn't just get that one over the line, could they? And I think it's, it's the red card that I think has really caused them a problem um, in the second half of that game because in the first half, you know, they were in it. Um, I think, you know, we discussed the other night, you know, typical, if you, you know, you have a player that can score a brilliant header against us and then the following week misses a real sitter from six yards that possibly, you know, puts them in front and then gives them something to hold on to. Um, But that red card, I think, at half-time just really killed them and turned the game in Chelsea's favour. And it was a real stupid tackle to make. Um, and And unfortunately, it did cost them because just in that second half, Chelsea managed to get on top. You know, they suddenly have worn them down. And again, you know... Playing a team like Chelsea with, you know, with 11 men is hard enough. When you're suddenly playing them with 10 men, you are up against it. Um, but they will be pleased. You know, it's only one, it was only 1-0. They had more than enough. You know, they had some chances. They held their own. So they will be confident that, you know, Scott Parker is slowly turning the ship around there. Um, they've put in some great performances recently. You know, they, they were very good against us in the second half decent for most of this game against Chelsea. So I think even though they've lost, I think they can take a little bit of confidence from that result this weekend and hopefully try to keep, you know, the momentum going for the rest of the season and try and grind those results out. But been, been reasonably impressed with Fulham just lately.
0: Yeah, I think there's a sense of small steps at the moment, but eventually they're going to have to take some giant leaps. Like they can't afford you just at a point a week, every week. I mean, you know, that would get you to what, I don't know, 31, 32 points, I think. Not quite enough. So, they're going to have to find wins, but they're sort of going about things the right way. Unfortunately for them, Max, obviously, the red card. I'll get your view on that first. I I guess an open and shut case, really. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. It was...
1: So, I don't think he went in super aggressively, you know. It wasn't like he'd... Like you see sometimes the players, when they get like a little nudge and they're annoyed, so they just fly into someone. I think he was just probably a bit, um, obviously, Anthony Robinson being a bit of a young a young kid. Um, he was just probably a little bit overeager. Um, and I don't know if the referee was maybe influenced by his pillow equator, kind of rolling around 400 times on the floor. But, it, I mean, I, I think it was a red. It was just a bit reckless. You know, when you're off the ground like that, um, he did catch um equator's leg. He was pretty well off the ground. He sent Aspel equator flying. So I, I don't really think he can have many complaints. You know, back in the day, as as the commentators um, and pundits were saying, it's probably a yellow. But these days, realistically, it's a red. It was miles up the pitch. You know, it's not like it was a tackle to stop someone going through on goal. So you just don't really need to make that tackle. I understand. You know, you're you're up for it, and you're up for the. The, the The relegation fight and you're and you're really keen to you know to to not give them not give Chelsea too much respect and all of that, but he was just kind of he was walking a bit of a fine line and yeah it was a little bit um a little bit over enthusiastic I think rather than anything too aggressive, but yeah, I think it was a red card
0: okay Max is staying with you the goal Alphonse Areola has been one of Fulham's better players in these last few weeks, especially in this stretch of draws. so he 's kind of flap, I guess you have to consider that a mistake really
1: uh yeah i think by his usual high standards and given that he's yeah he, he's been he's been pretty good since he moved he's made a lot of saves um i think he saved a penalty um yeah so b- by his standards that that was a bit of a flap um what i was what i noted with uh, with interest and with annoyance is that uh in fantasy football which is you know the the main thing happening in my life right now with uh with COVID and all that, <laughs> Um, if 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 a player shoots and the keeper parries it and then someone puts in the rebound, um, the player who shot gets the assist. But apparently not with a cross because I have Chilwell in my team and he crossed it and Ariola kind of flapped it out and Mount put it in. but he didn't get the assist, so I was fuming about that. But um, yeah, it was probably a mistake and fair play to Mason Mount because despite all of the you know, the the multi-million pound signings and Havertz and Werner and Ziak, he's just playing every single week, number eight, plays ninety minutes almost every week. Um and given that, you know, he was one of the one of the two or three or four Chelsea youth players who were introduced last season. Tomori out of favour now, loft cheek, um, on loan out now. Um Tomori might be leaving as well. Billy Gilmore hasn't really put a stamp on the team, but Mason Mount is in there playing regularly, super consistent, and he's, and he's playing super consistently for England as well. And on this form, that's deserved. You know, he, He's worthy of a, of a starting spot, regular spot in the Chelsea and England team.
0: Well, that was going to be my next question about England. So you've answered that one. So I'll go to Carl now about Chelsea in general. When you look at that result, nothing more than a welcome win after such a wretched run of results for the Blues in the league. That said, though, when you look at the table, there's still a lot of work to be done, and Frank's going to need players like Mount and more to dig them out of trouble.
2: Yeah, definitely. I say, yeah, when you look at their form, you know, it's very patchy, isn't it? And uh, unfortunately, I don't see that probably changing for the rest of the season. You know, I think they are one of them sides that can put a, a string of, you know, two results together where you think, OK, maybe they've turned the corner, found some form. And then next thing you know, they go and lose three on the bounce, the teams you wouldn't expect them to. Um, There's obviously, you know, Frank spent a lot of money. They're obviously bedding those players in. You know, Werner hasn't kind of hit the ground running like I think they probably would have hoped he would. Um, You know, Havertz is still needing time to adjust by looks of it. Um, You know, the goalkeeper situation doesn't help them out. Um, Although Mendy looks like he he is an upgrade, Um, but he probably still needs a little bit of adjustment time. Um, You know, was lucky to get away with one this weekend against Fulham. Um, So, yeah, I, I... yeah you know, i don 't see it changing for Chelsea this season, but again, they are in one of those positions right now aren 't they that if they can stick a run together and suddenly get three or four wins on the board you 're right back up there in third or second and suddenly knocking on the door again because we are in a season where it does look like you know teams are going through little spells, and no one seems to be super consistent at the moment um and it looks like they're going to stay that consistent over the course of the season. So if Chelsea can kind of see the second half of the season and some of those players that they brought can kind of bed in and then have better second halves of the season, then they'll still feel confident that they can get in that top four. And, uh, you know, the title might be too far, too far a reach for them, but they should definitely be able to get top four this season.
0: OK, let's move to the other contenders now, Carl. I'll stay with you. Because I asked Matthew recently whether he could see Leicester as genuine title challengers this season. They're second now. Do we have to start taking them a bit more seriously? And if so, do you think they can do it again?
2: Well, I think if you look at this season and, like you say, the fact that it is a bit topsy-turvy... If we're going to sit there right now and say that United are in contention, Liverpool are in contention and Man City are in contention, then you've got to put Leicester in that mix because they're there. They're, you know, same points as Man City at the moment. Um, You know, again, haven't lost in, you know, the last five. They've got players that can win them games. Um, I think the problem for Leicester might be if, you know, they pick up some injuries. You know, Vardy gets injured. Um, If Madison goes down then, you know, you do sort of wonder if they've got the sort of players that can step in and fill that void. I'm not so sure they have. But if they keep, you know, if they can stay injury free and you get Vardy for the rest of the season, Madison for the rest of the season, who seems to be picking his form up now, then I don't see how you can write Leicester out of it at the moment. You know, if you're going to give United and City a chance and Liverpool as we're expecting it to be, then for me, Leicester are right in the mix as well.
0: Well, this is it, really, Max, because I think you could say to any of six teams, really, that they can win the Premier League. Whether they will or not is a different matter. So it would be grossly unfair to exclude Leicester from this conversation at this present moment in time. Part of that conversation, obviously, is always down to Jamie Vardy and what he can do. And Carl's just touched on James Madison. He's hit a purple patch of form at the moment. How important is his fitness going to be to Leicester's hopes of at least a top four finish? Yeah, I think I think fairly
1: important. Fairly important. He's obviously a, a really talented player, and he's been maybe in in the early years of his Leicester career maybe a little bit mercurial, a little bit inconsistent, a little bit up and down, which is why he he had lost his place at the start of the season because um, Leicester would much rather have someone like um, Harvey Barnes, so you kind of know what you're going to get each week, and he's and he's consistently pretty good. It's maybe why they also bought in. Uh, Chengiz although he hasn't really worked out um, the, the the Turkish winger, but but yeah, he, he's been he's been pretty important. He's won his place back. He scored some really really cracking goals um, against Man City. He scored a real he scored a real stunner, and then he scored a really nice um, nice finish the other week as well. Um, so he, he's been doing really well, and he might might be playing his way into into Southgate's England plans as well. But yeah, him him and him and Barnes either side of Vardy, that, that's a that's a pretty formidable trio. And yeah, like you say, I don't think we can exclude Leicester um excuse me from the title picture. I think um they're probably not, you know, the outright favourites, um as 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 is fairly obvious. But I think
0: they're definitely in the picture. I don't think they'll do it, but they're they're contenders up there for sure. Okay, then Carl it's now five unbeaten for the Foxes in the league. And you'd have to say that Southampton are rather toothless without Danny Ings at the weekend. So although the win against Liverpool would have been the Saints' high-water mark, shall we say, it's also their only win in the last six matches. So it's not disaster at the St Mary's, but a little bit of cause of concern all the same.
2: Yeah, although I, you know, I did feel Southampton at times in that game played some really good football. Um, And like, as you say, I think unfortunately for them, it's, you know, it will be goals that probably stop them um, progressing because, you know, defensively and in midfield, they look really solid. And as I say, they played some really good football at times. It was just up front where suddenly, you know, they're not taking the sort of chances that you kind of think, you know, Ings takes the sort of chances that they're getting, um, Um, and you know, if, you know, I think if you're a Southampton fan, this season, you're looking and going, well, you know, where we are now, we probably wouldn't have expected to be where we are given, you know, what had happened around a year ago. So they'll be confident, but they will be starting to feel that, as we say, the form has just turned a little, um, and what you don't want is you don't want momentum to suddenly turn and take you the other way. So it's vital that they do, you know, for all the good football you play sometimes, it's completely in vain if you don't get three points on the board. So they will be looking right now, just thinking, right, we just need to kind of put the brakes on to this sort of sliding form that we've had, try to turn it around and get a couple more wins on the board. But if you don't have a top striker firing away in the Premier League, it's hard. Um, And, you know, I don't think, as you say, when you take Danny Ings out of that side, it's not, it's not got the bite that you probably would fear, you know, if you know, Danny Ings is playing. You're worried. You feel like he can cause you problems. You take Ings out of that side and you're actually facing Southampton thinking, well, okay, yeah, you know, we know they'll play good football and they will be good, but the main man is missing up top and that might hurt them. So I don't see them being able to go and buy someone who can come in and kind of compliment Ings. So it's just making sure that they can try and get him back on the pitch and keep him fit. If they can keep him fitting in the side um, and keep players like Ward-Prowse fit and playing, then I think where they are now, they could seriously challenge for, you know, the the top six maybe. Um, But I don't see them being able to challenge higher than that. But if suddenly Ings is out for a long period, then I think you might fear that they could suddenly just have a period of games where they just slip down the table and then end up just, you know, finishing sort of mid-table, 10th or 11th. Which, unfortunately, would be a shame because they've been one of the great surprises of this season.
0: So, Max, if we're to believe the current rumblings in the press over the past few days, Southampton is another team where the cupboard is supposedly bare. And that means their prized possession, that being Danny Ings, is a saleable asset in the summer. How much credence do you give to that story?
1: Um I d I don't think they'd sell him for um for less than probably forty million. Um and that might sound a little bit um like I'm over egging it, but he's so important to them. Um not, you know, that they'd be anywhere near the relegation zone without him. I think Adams is a good player and um, Walcott's done Right since he's signed as well. But why would you why would you sell him? He's just had a season where he was almost um almost the golden boot winner. I think he scored 22 goals last season. And if you think about the kind of prices that you'd have to pay, the kind of fees you'd have to pay to get people around that goal scoring tally, Jamie Vardy, you know, almost, almost, um, you you couldn't put a price tag on his head for for his value to Leicester. Aubameyang, you know, 50 million. um, Danny Ings, yeah, he'd be up there, 40, 50 million. Um, obviously i don 't know what the what the financial situation is at Southampton if they 're in um, kind of tricky waters having having spent a lot of money previously, um, then they might have to kind of uh, accept a lower a lower price but he 's so important to how they play you know he 's their talisman, he leads from the front, he obviously scores so many match deciding goals and he's such, a, he's such an important player, off the, off the back of his, his goal-scoring seasons in the last two or three years, you, you really would have to say that, that they wouldn't want to sell him and that the, the price would be prohibitively high as a result.
0: Well, I guess it's similar to Greenish in the sense that there's market value and value to the club, and the latter would be a lot higher for both Southampton and Aston Villa. So, as always, it comes down to finances that we don't see, but Southampton sort of scratching around thinking, oh, actually, we do need to uh, stock up the cupboards. It might be that he's the sacrificial lamb in all of this. And if he is, then I guess the the top six, the likes of Tottenham, might be sniffing around and hoping for a summer transfer. Anyway, let's hot-foot it now to the Etihad, Carl, because Man City come out on top against Palace. We'll get to you in a moment, Max. But with points being dropped elsewhere in a rather boring fixture that we might get to in a moment, is it now advantage Etihad in terms of this ever-changing title race?
2: Yeah, I you know, City have kind of gone about their business, haven't they? Um, and they're actually looking really strong right now, the way they're playing. You know, you've got John Stones has suddenly come back from the dead, the not he? To try and turn himself into, you know, a, what looks like a real commanding centre-half that finally doesn't make the sort of silly mistakes he should be making. Um, they're scoring goals again. Um, they're looking dangerous. That's five wins out of five now for them, and they've got themselves up in a great position with a game in hand on United. So I think everyone should be slightly worried because if they can sort themselves out defensively, and even who knows, sort out their attacking options and get a striker fit and on the pitch, then you'd like you'd probably think City could use the second half of the season to kind of really lay down a marker uh, and put themselves as favourites to go and win the title.
0: So, Max, as a Palace fan, obviously, you usually have a good record at the Etihad. Unfortunately, that was not the case on Sunday night. No zahar to call upon. But should that in itself have such a bearing on the final outcome? Um, <laughs> that's, that's a
1: tricky one. Should Zahar's absence um, make us completely toothless in attack? <laughs> uh, pro- probably probably not. Um, you know, we should be able to potentially rely on, on some other players. But the, the truth is he is our best player. He's our best attacking player. You know, he's our talisman at times, he's our captain, he's our best goal threat, our best assist threat. Um, And we obviously do really, really, really struggle without him. And not just kind of his his ability to score uh, and create and kind of go past players, but particularly when we're in games like Man City, where we do not have much possession at all, and where we're really penned back in our own half, his ability to win fouls, which obviously gives us a ball, and to drive up the pitch, which allows everyone to push up. Um, it's just so it's just so hugely important, particularly in games like that. So obviously it was a real blow. Um, and to be honest, I can kind of accept not really having a goal threat against Man City because they're so good and they're so strong in defense and stuff. It was just kind of the manner of the goals we conceded. Um, To be honest, I thought we did pretty well initially because we restricted them to 1-0 at half-time. That sounds really defeatist, doesn't it? We restricted them to 1-0 at half-time, and that was just an unbelievable uh, outside-of-the-foot cross from De Bruyne. You know, a moment of genius, and you can just say, well, you know, fair enough. Um, Not much you could do about that. 1-0, fine. And then they just kind of scored three set pieces in the second half. Um, two from corners and one from a free kick. And, you know, they're well-taken goals. And I don't want to say, our well, set-piece goals aren't as valuable because obviously they they all count. But from a Palace perspective, it's frustrating to concede goals like that because, you know, if they open you up with amazing attacking play and movement and creativity and stuff like that, then fair play, which is what they did with their first goal. But it was just a little bit loose. Having kept ourselves in the game, um, at only 1-0, you know, anything can happen. And we've got four points in the last two visits there. Um, b- before before this match. And then, yeah, to concede the, in the manner we did was a little bit frustrating. Um, it was also a little bit frustrating that we didn't pick Riedervald. And look, I'm not saying that picking one centre midfielder over another would have turned a 4-0 defeat into a 1-0 win or whatever. But to to pick three men in midfield, which, you know, I understand is a tactical decision, but to go with uh, all of the most prosaic, um, unambitious... Almost incapable of passing forward centre midfielders in MacArthur, McCarthy, and Milivojevic. When you've got someone who has a bit of poise and class on the ball like Riedewald, it was a bit frustrating. As I say, it wouldn't have made a difference to the result. But yeah, to concede the goals we did and not to have a bit of ambition in picking someone like Riedewald, uh, a little bit frustrating. But definitely City looked good for the title. Stones has transformed himself and he looks quite a good player when he's not, you know, passing to the passing to the other team (laughs) all the time Um, so yeah he, he, he could definitely definitely well he should definitely be starting for England on this form
0: really good player well that's going to be my next question to Carl Carl is that something you agree with?
2: Yeah, I do. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think you can go far wrong, um, and he has been very impressive. And I think there'll be a lot of other big clubs possibly thinking that they they may have let one go there that's going to end up costing them a lot more money in the summer. Should it be a summer move or even in in another season's time? But I think there is a player that's going to go for big money and lots of clubs. You know, I mean, I know at one point Spurs were looking, and you kind of look now and think, well, wow, you know, we we probably have missed out there because this this guy does look like he's got class you know the way he moves around the pitch it's definitely you know got a classy look about him and a player that's going to go on to bigger and better things
0: so Max what do you make of the partnership that's beginning to blossom between him and Ruben Diaz because City look far more secure at the back with those two as centre-backs and because they're not bowling over teams with their usual bluster let's take Sunday out of the equation they don't really need to either with that security Yeah, you're right, they don't,
1: because previously they've been a little bit lax at the back and so, you know, prone to errors. And so, like you say, you know, they need to score two or three or four, whatever, to get a result. But now, one goal will do it. One goal will do it, because they're just so, so solid. Um, And I think the defensive um, reinforcements that they've made have made a massive difference to that. Um, Obviously, you know, the amount of money that they've spent on their defence is pretty well documented. But... Having that kind of depth, that strength and depth is really helping them. cancello has been you know one of their best players, let alone defenders this season and most people thought, "Oh well, why are you spending thirty mil on a second choice right back well he's been he's been really good um, and stones and Diaz in, in that partnership has been superb okay we don 't need to speak about Diaz he 's just world class unbelievable and transformative to city in the same way that Van Dyke was to liverpool and that arguably Laporte was um, before him. But yes, that, that partnership is not really what we expected because last season, and even at the start of this season, Stones was maybe sixth choice centre-back. If you think um, Laporte, Ake, Garcia, um, Otamendi, who's obviously left now, um, and then and, and then Diaz. Stones was right down the pecking order, fifth choice maybe at the start of the season, like I say. But then Garcia's kind of wrangling for a move back to Barcelona, and then Laporte and Ake have, have had kind of fitness issues. They're both good players. And when everyone is back fully fit and firing, maybe he might be inclined to rotate Stones and Diaz a little bit. But Stones has just done so well that you've got to say him and Diaz are the first choice um, centre-back pairing now. And that is the kind of, that that security and that solidity that they have now at the back is definitely the kind of defence that needs, that you need to fire you to the title. Because for all Liverpool's amazing goals last season you know from their front three there are other teams who have a good front three united have a good front three leicester have a good front three but for me it's the And maybe i'm just <laughs> saying this as a as a center back or former center back um but yeah defense wins you titles and i think stones and diaz that's a that's a proper partnership now edison behind them you know cancello walkers Zinchenko all around them that they, they've got a really really solid defense and that could fire them to the title
0: well, who knows? For all the talk of Man City's attacking prowess over the last few years, it's never got them to the Champions League. It might be if they revert to a solid backline. That might be the difference that Pep's been looking for all these years. We won't know until May, of course, but you never know. Football is a very strange beast. And Cole, let's go to Bramall Lane now because Sheffield United, although they got the better of Newcastle in midweek, it's immaterial in regards to their sort of relegation hopes or lack thereof. And to be honest, they were no match for a much better looking Spurs side than they were on Wednesday.
2: Yeah, that's right. You know, I think in in this game, you kind of felt from the start that, you know, we were going to be too strong for them. Um you know, I think they really suffer in this season. I actually find, think it's amazing. It seems like the changing goalkeeper has really caused them a problem as well because, you know, Henderson had a great season for them, didn't he? he? went back to United and unfortunately the goalkeeper now, Ramsgate, just doesn't look solid at all, does he? You know, you kind of get the impression there's not a lot of confidence in him from, from the defenders there. Um, he, he can make mistakes and it's going to cost them at this level. They don't look the same threat going forward. Forward. and as you say in this game Spurs kind of took the brakes off a little bit more you know when we scored early goal you know for initially you sort of feared 85 minutes of pain sitting back and defending but we kind of went on the front foot again and looked to kind of get a second and kill the game and we just always looked like you had the ability going forward to score a goal at some point point. Um, and Sheffield United didn't look like they could contain Kane, Son and the way we were attacking and really to be honest looked a little bit toothless up top so I think we can see, as you say, you know, they had a good win in the week. They got knocked back down to earth again um, this weekend. And I think, unfortunately, it looks like the writing is well and truly on the wall for them. And they're probably, in all honesty, starting to plan for next season, where they'll probably be looking at a championship season and, and a push for trying to get themselves back in the Premier League.
0: So Max, to be honest, I've run out of ways to talk about Sheffield United's demise. I don't think we can slice this in any other directions. So instead, I'll ask you about the resurgence of Tangi Indumbele. Are the signs now showing that Spurs are finally getting a return on their hefty investment? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're they're, they're
1: finally getting a return on their investment, and it's um, it, it shows that there's a way back in from the cold at, Mar- uh, at one of Mourinho's clubs because previously he's kind of always loved. Um, and on, honestly, he might be doing this to kind of reinforce his leadership, to to show that he's the boss, he's the number one. But he's he's had a history of, um, of basically with players, he's basically kind of sidelining them and saying, look, you know, if you're not going to do things my way, you're not going to play. Luke Shaw at United and um, Dombele, obviously um, before his his resurgence. Now it's kind of Bale and Deli Ali, and Ali may leave to PSG on loan. He may leave on a permanent deal. But if he wants to get back in the Spurs team and the England team, he needs to look at Anton Ndombele's example. And I'm not saying that Ali isn't working hard in training. Obviously, I'm, I'm not party to, to watch their, their training sessions. So I'm not saying that he's kind of being a, a layabout and, and being a little bit lazy in training. But that is the kind of impression that you get from him when you watch their games you know, when he's to be fair, he did well against Marine, but you know that was a ninth-tier side. Um, but in in all or nothing as well, and I know that that was a little bit of a of a slightly managed and you know a bit of a whitewashed kind of view of the club. But even in uh, a documentary, almost completely controlled by Spurs, he he still came across as a little bit kind of laxadaisical and he just thought that his natural ability would be able to to kind of get him through. And you know, Mourinho told him in the documentary, said, you know, you're a lazy so and so. Um, you, you don't really work in training, and and Dombele, Partly, he's got a little bit of a, a kind of a languid style, a bit like Iberia Eze, if I make a comparison to make things about Palace again. Um, but he, and Dombele, he doesn't look like he's absolutely busting a gut, but um, just because of you know the kind of way he runs and the way he plays, but he's. He's actually been a really good... Obviously, we know he's got all the tricks and flicks and bells and whistles, but he's been a really important part of their pressing and their tackling as well. Um, he's really led from the front with a press, playing in that uh, attacking midfield role. And he's even eclipsing Giovanni Lacelso, who is obviously a massive, um, big-money signing as well. So I, I've been really impressed with him, Don Bellet. Fair play to him for kind of coming back um, from his... Um, from, from his kind of exclusion and is now a really important part of the side. Um, great finish as well, obviously. Um, but it shows that for Ali, for Bale, there is a way back um, because you can just do what, what Tonkey's
0: done. OK, the quick fire round now. Cole, you get Newcastle. They've lost again. The default setting seems to be just defeat at the moment and it's a case of just how many goals they might concede on their way to defeat. So there's a bit of a buffer at the moment. But when you look at the kind of trajectory of clubs below them, they're slowly getting their act together while Newcastle are slowly edging in the wrong direction. So do you think there's a relegation battle on the horizon or even worse, could it be a trip to the championship?
2: Yeah, I think there's definitely a relegation battle in the miss. I mean, they are a dire side to watch, aren't they? I mean, you know, if... if, if... I I wouldn't turn Newcastle on at the moment, if I'm honest, um, because they're just boring, don't offer nothing. Um, And you do think, you know, if you were a supporter of theirs, you would be extremely worried right now about where the season's going. I think they are in a relegation fight, that's for sure. You know, when you've got people like Burnley and Brighton um, below you, you know those two teams are capable of getting results at any point. um, And they've got some, you know, good Premier League experience. They might just get lucky this season that, you know, Fulham and West Brom may just not have enough to get what they need to over the line. But I think we'd be very surprised if Newcastle don't finish the season in 17th and just hanging on for dear life.
0: Okay, then, Max, going up the table now, West Ham, they're unbeaten in their last four, top half of the table. Do you think they'll use some of that Sebastian Haller money that they've just cashed in on to have a potential crack at a European finish?
1: Um, Well, they should do. They they should do. They should be aiming to replace him. Um, They are pretty light up front. They've only got Antonio, who's kind of half fit, and also obviously he's been playing at striker, but he's not kind of an out and out striker naturally by trade. Although he does a really really good job there. Um, So I definitely think they should be that they 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 should be reinvesting that money. Given given that it's a bit of a, a bit of a financial boon for them, um, I've heard they're they're interested. The Athletics been saying they're interested in the severe striker M. Nasri, Yusuf M. Nasri. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Please let me know if I'm not. Um, but yeah, I I think that they they definitely could have a crack at a European slot because they've made some kind of transformative signings. You know, signings who make all the other players around them better. Fabianski is back now. Soufal's made a big difference. Ogbonna doesn't really get spoken about enough. He's been one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League, in my opinion. Obviously, Rice is class. Suchek's been transformative. Um, now they're even getting a little bit of um, attacking returns out of Benrahma. Now that is playing a bit more, Moyes is obviously feeling more ready to use him in the league and stuff like that. So, yeah, they're, they're looking good. And if they get another striker with the Allaire money, that'll provide even more competition up front for, for Antonio. And, and yeah, they could be looking at a Europa League slot.
0: Right, Liverpool-Man United. We were going to reference it, but we've actually run out of time and I can't be bothered because there's nothing really to talk about. Yes, there were a little couple of flashpoints in that, but we'll only overrun and I don't think it's really worth that. I think you could talk about Sadio Mane and that whistle and whether Man United will be despaired by the fact they didn't win and put Liverpool to the sword. Liverpool's lack of goals. You know, they're topics that will come up in the next couple of weeks or so. And we've, t- we've chatted about those two clubs loads. So it's better to uh, share the load in terms of the Premier League. So I think that's about it for this week. i was just doing the admin, which is a simple thanking my two pod squad members. So Max, thanks for your time this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. See you next week. Cheers, mate. And Carl, a pleasure as always. Thanks for wearing the captain's yeah. armband as always, as you do.
2: Cheers, Dan. Yeah, enjoyed this one this week and looking forward to next week.
0: Top man. Right, fantastic. Cheers, guys, and also to the listeners out there. With that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy, this is The Real Football Cast, and until next time, goodbye.